that's the tallest building in town. The library, because it has the most stores. We didn't own a car, so we would go to the library with a shopping cart and fill um, the shopping cart with our books. I was probably about six or seven, and my mom took me to our local library for a story time. I went with my dad every Saturday morning. I remember coming here like since we moved here when I was five, and every summer we do the summer reading program. As the years have gone by, you begin to realize how much you know, interesting stuff the library has to offer besides books. When I was growing up, my aunt would always take me to the library. I was in third grade, and then I loved the library, the Carnegie Library. I went to the story times that were at the library. The librarian was my dad. Could you tell me your earliest memory of being in a library? Yes. My earliest memory of being in a library, like most people, is that of the library in grade school. Now, where I grew up and went to school, it was a small rural community, and the library there was not real big. But after that, my next biggest memory of a library was the local bookmobile. And to me, that opened up a whole new world because unlike the grade school library, the bookmobile had a carefully selected variety of books. And it wasn't just books geared to grade schoolers or even students, but the public as a whole. And when the whole idea of the bookmobile became ingrained in my mind. I looked forward to that monthly visit to our community because not only could I check out books geared to me, but I could check out the so-called grown-up books too. And so that obviously opened up a lot of avenues for me for reading and study. What did you like to read when you were that age? Back when I was like 9, 10, 11, when I really got into reading big time, one of the first things I had discovered was these large anthology collections of comics, specifically the Batman comics and Mad Magazine. And, of course, being a, a young kid, I just ate that sort of stuff up. But I also had an interest in science and math, and so I too found books that piqued my interest in science, especially in the 70s. We were just coming out of the years of the Apollo missions and the various space exploration projects like Skylab and Voyager. So there again, that was right up my alley. What do you use the library for today? Today, it's, it's a mix. Not only do I come here and look for various books related to my career, but I also look for graphic novels on a variety of topics, both for entertainment and for study. And with the Modern Library, I also have access to tons of music and movies, and so I voraciously check out that sort of thing as well. So for fun, can I ask you, what kinds of graphic novels do you like to read? When I had discovered them at a very young age, I had discovered the old golden era Batmans, the ones that were strictly just the black and white line drawings. Of course, nowadays, the modern DC versions of those are full color, 
and the art is highly refined now. And I still read those and Superman. Oh, in recent years, I've read the Why the Last Man series by Brian K. Vaughn. I have read the Art Spiegelman Mouse series. So I, I mix it up a little as far as the graphic novels are concerned. Have you picked up any of those, can I ask, at our library? Oh yeah, this is where I usually pick them up. I'm just curious because I buy them for the library, so I'm... Okay. <laughs> so, so I'm curious if you found what you needed here. I usually do. I either hunt for them via LinkCat or I know just right off of your reading room you have a dedicated shelf for the graphic novel collections. And so occasionally I will just stop by there and browse as well. Is there anything else you'd like to say about the library? I'm so glad that it's here because if I had to buy everything that I consumed, I would have been broke long ago. (laughs) I just consider it a great resource, not only for children, but for adults as well. And I think having this right here so close, not only for the residents of Sun Prairie, but for the Eastside Madison people, And that's the nice thing about this area is we do have a wealth of libraries in the area. So I I would encourage people to take advantage of them. Steve, I really wanted to talk about comics because we both like them. Mm -hmm. And they're also um, a thing in the library that a lot of people don't know about when it comes to our graphic novels section. So I thought it made sense to do actually even more than one podcast about it. So uh, you were talking earlier about your first experience with graphic novels as opposed to comics. Like you read comics when you were a kid. Yeah. Like video game themed comics mainly or what? Yeah, I was, my mom didn't really like comics. It doesn't seem or video games, oh, and so no. <laughs> I I latched on to those. You double things. rebelled. I latched on to those things through my two cousins who were like brothers to me growing up, mm. and so they had all those cool nerdy things that I wanted, yeah. and so I got to experience whatever they had, and so I did start with like Sonic the Hedgehog and Power Rangers and all those weird Nintendo things that were probably 100% terrible, but you were yeah. just really excited because your characters were like coming to life. Right. Um, yeah, they're from, fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But you didn't really do any like real heavy thinking on comics as a medium. Not at all. Until college. And then a professor, Gwen Tarbox, was teaching it. And I thought, what's that? You can teach comics? And so I inquired and... <laughs> Were you taking her class or not? (laughs) Yeah, I was taking a class with her, but I don't remember which class. But yeah, she she thought that the Scott McCloud book would be really useful for those of us who were new to the medium. And I did feel like I was new. And so Understanding Comics, it's a really great book to understand the process of what's happening like with your brain as you are reading a comic, if you want, if you're curious about that. Yeah. I think have a lot you of, read it? I have. Um, and, and I think a lot of people, you know, when they think of comics, they think of the kids stuff um, or superheroes. Batman. <laughs> yeah. Na, 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 na. Right. So that's what people think of. Yeah, what's what's so great about comics is that it's a really vast world. What comic book characters do, much like the way that the the Greek and Roman myths did, is is provide analogies that sort of describe the zeitgeist. You know, they they sort of describe the state that we're in now. 
And that state changes from decade to decade, but the characters stay the same. And that's what's so interesting and fascinating about some of these characters who are now approaching 100 years old, is that much of the time they have the same or similar costumes. Their origin stories haven't changed that much, or they've changed radically, but then gone back to exactly the way that they were, as anybody who follows comics continuity will know and bemoan. It's, it's very interesting to see the changes that do take place, because it's a way, I think, of tracking the history of our own national conversations. I got into comics through a professor, but then quickly realized that there was a movement of underground comics. And that's what I've been focusing on more so like as I've gotten older and what those are. And underground comics came from underground newspapers. And I've been trying to like understand what these things are because they're so, you know, it's hard to gather that stuff. Right. And they have tried. People have tried to, to do it, to collect it, to talk about it, to research it, etc. But, you know, just like the zine world, it, it's its own thing that's um, more underground. Right. Well, there's a lot of crossover between the two because, you know, there's a lot of zines that are comics. These hidden collections, Steve. Yeah, collections. Hidden yeah. collections. Is that uh-huh. the academic term? No. Oh. <laughs> They made it up. Good. That's that's good. Collections that you wouldn't find unless you ran into them. Hidden Collections would be a good band name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. And a lot of those things aren't on, aren't available online. Or they in the past they hadn't been digitized or whatever. Exactly. You know, and, and so you had to come upon them through like some archive somewhere. Yeah, people do think about comics as being for kids, but adults have been utilizing them for a really long time. Yeah like in satirical ways just for humor i mean underground comics to me are fascinating because they'll talk about subjects that were taboo right and so whether that's religion or uh sex or drugs or just everyday life (laughs) in some way that people aren't talking about in a popular media's popular mediums sure you know, a lot of people are introduced to were introduced to certain ideas that were adult content through these underground newspapers or underground um, comics. Right, and it's interesting that 15 years ago, you might say that websites were going to take over that that place. You know, which they did to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I feel like the underground comics or the DIY movement or you know zines or self publishing, like it's bigger now than it has been. Yeah. Ever be, bigger than ever before, you know, and it's <laughs> and it's still like this really thriving scene. Almost everything I was saying in the seminars as, and in the new book about the way comics work under the hood was applicable to both the web and to print. So even though we had these really dramatic differences between uh, uh, between what I could see web comics doing and what, what was happening in print comics, still at the core, very much the same animal. And um, part of that was just that it all came down to this idea of the call and response, the basic structure of comics, which is that the artist gives you, the reader, something to see within the panels, and then you bring something to imagine between the panels in order to complete the action, that call and response rhythm. And the fact that seen in that way, all of comics becomes this temporal map uh, that as you move through space, you're moving through time. 
I, I do read some superhero stuff, but I'm currently reading some anti-superhero stuff called Doom Patrol, <laughs> who are like super, like misfit superheroes, which is like in some real surrealist type stuff. Yeah. You know, um, I do tend to like comics or graphic novels that are more of the sometimes art-based than text-based. And then I'll also though continually go back to like memoir things that do tend to be more text heavy. Right. And a lot of time not as I guess detailed as some although what's the the monsters one that came out this year? My favorite thing is monsters. Yeah. I mean that's that's like that's some really detailed art. Yes. You know, a lot of heavy shading and stuff. Both are going on at the same time. Lots yeah, of text. A lot of text. Lots a ton of, of text art. in that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess I, I sort of gravitate toward the more impression, impressionistic, is that the right word? Or I guess minimalist art style. Mm. Um, the one I read most recently was this the, this French graphic novelist. Who's, I don't know if it's just this year. He's had a lot of his stuff translated into English. He did Moby Dick, which I think you actually have now. I, <laughs> I just do. brought it back. <laughs> um, yep. <laughs> which is, I mean, it's really cool. It's very, you know, like two colors, black and white. So there's a lot of shading. Uh, very, you know, super, super moody. Uh, not a lot of text. Whereas yeah. the book Moby Dick which I'm also sort of working my way through right now. No, you're not. Is, I'm yeah. going to. <laughs> is this both our winter project? It's really hard to read and it's so dense. But the book, but the graphic novel then, on the other hand. Are we going to have a mini book club? I suppose we could. <laughs> we could have a book club on the air. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I thought you were like, I hate Moby Dick. I didn't I'm say never that, reading that. And I, was, I, and I defended it. I did say I would never read it, I think. But... Then I realized, well, because because my daughter's reading it and uh, she's 14 and I was like, oh, well, if she can read it, <laughs> then I can read it. And so I've been so like sometimes like I'll Skype with her and we'll read it over Skype together. Oh, my God. Uh, and 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 I and I just I, I never knew that it was such a I mean, I knew that it was dense because that's the time period it was written in. So everybody wrote. But there's some really, really crazy like like meta, like postmodern style writing in it you know with footnotes and with like treating people like like actors on a stage and and, oh yeah you know all of a sudden here's like this history of people standing on a pole or whatever and it's just really weird um and i love weird stuff like that so reading it i was just like oh this is actually a book that i might actually read in real life i don't have to be that scared of it which is funny because um, i won sorry The graphic novel Bone, which is probably one of the most famous slash popular kids graphic novels, which actually everybody should read Jeff Smith's Bone. Yes. Um, it's massive. When you, you get the, you get the collection, which I have a copy of at home, it's, you know, I love it in that form. Pages. I love it. Yeah. And it was originally an underground comic, you know, self-published uh, black and white. And it just sort of grew and grew over the years. And now it's public, picked up by Scholastic and they have it out in color editions. And it's it's super popular because it's really kid friendly. But it's also a really great story. Um, but throughout the story, one of the characters has Moby Dick. And like whenever they read it, they fall asleep because it's so hard to read. But then there's a lot of like the same themes as Moby Dick. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Moby Dick. Read it. <laughs> Captain Ahab. Was it not Moby Dick took off thy leg? Aye. It's Moby Dick. 
that tore my soul and body until they bled into each other. I... What about blankets, Steve? Blankets is great. Um, I don't know. Uh, Craig Thompson is author, illustrator, graphic novelist. You wrote Um, your name down on a piece of paper once. Yeah. I mean, so I I met him when he was on doing his tour for his, the kids book that he did. So I saw actually, so when I, when I first read Blankets, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the best, this is the best thing I've ever read. Love, love, love. And I emailed him immediately. I looked up his email address or whatever, and I sent him this long email (laughs) It was so stupid. But years later, when I finally got to meet him, you know, I mean, of course, everyone in line was like, oh, you're the greatest, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he had this awesome pen with him. It was like a, you know, like one of those uh, ink paintbrush pen things and where he just like drew in everybody's book and he took time and he, you know, he drew this beautiful picture of one of the characters in my book and, you know, wrote a little note to me. It was really great. Oh my but goodness! Blankets is a it's a book about it's semi autobiographical, growing up in rural Wisconsin, and uh, coming from a very religious home, and just you know the different things that uh, as sort of as he is learning things about himself and having like this spiritual crisis, you know, sort of coming out on the other end. But it's sort of his life as you know child through a teenager so i mean it's a it's a memoir and actually i think that was the first that was probably the first graphic novel memoir that i ever read it might have been the first one that spoke to you though in a certain way yeah as a child, I was really into comic books, and, and in a sort of natural adult progression, fell out of love with the medium around high school, and was really uh, obsessed with film and then animation, and was sort of uh, mapping out a possible career in animation, and, and became disillusioned with that for a number of reasons, and, and that's when I rediscovered comics, and that there was this great um, autonomy for an author to, you know realize all parts of the, the process. And uh, it overlapped with sort of like 1990s sort of Generation X zines and mini comics and punk rock music movement where people were making these homemade books. And uh, so it was a perfect like entry point where I just started by making short, you know, 24 page handmade photocopied mini comics. And those were the first baby steps toward what later became 700 page graphic novels. I really love Fun Home by Alison Bechdel, which is about her growing up as a child in a funeral home. That's hence Fun Home. And in it, it is about her life with her parents and their relationships, the dynamics that she was trying to figure out while living in such an interesting space. And also, though, discovering um, who she was, um, her sexuality and trying to understand like her father's death that happened suddenly and you know she's just a really good writer like Mm. she's my favorite writer when it comes to graphic novels in general Mm. like i would just read anything she wrote anywhere (laughs) and i do (laughs) like she writes reviews for everyone and i take them all very seriously despite you know that whole fan thing that you do i do it anyway with her yeah and I, I just find her to be so insightful and she does the psychology thing so well, the way that, that I'm so into and explores ideas that speak to me hugely and are really important to me. So I latch on to her work always. 
I do feel like in many ways my life, my professional career has been a reaction to to my father's life, his life of secrecy. I, I've been like all about being out and open about being a lesbian since I since I came out in like 1980, uh, and it's been my career. Like I, I wrote this lesbian comic strip for many many years. That was my job. Um, a little bit to my family's horror at first, but they all got used to it eventually. I wondered if there was a series that you recommend the most often, whether to friends or uh, patrons. I don't know. I mean, the, so one that I one that I've revisited probably twice because it's it's a long series is Hellboy. Yeah, which which is not. I mean, it's there's nothing like really like super intellectual about it maybe i mean i i don't know because it, it does it borrows a lot from folk tales and mythology from all over the world mm. um to tell these stories and i mean ultimately it's about this devil who punches other monsters and also existential crises um as to whether or not he's gonna you know take up the fate that that it was decreed for him or if he's going to, you know, fight against that and just be his own person, which he is all of us. Yeah. But, but the art again, like the art is, is amazing. And you know, it's, it's another one of these, I think it is almost always just black and white, isn't it? Yeah. Or there might be I some think so. color, but you know, just like two color, really heavy shadows, kind of blocky uh, character designs and things like that. But yeah, really, that, that's one that I look at a lot. I knew I wanted to draw monsters. I, the only thing I could ever do was draw. And the only thing I ever remember wanting to draw was monsters. And somewhere along the way, I was in art school for a couple of years, and I knew what I wanted to do, but at some point you're kind of going, well, where am I going to go to draw monsters for a living? And I, I had read comics, I had been a fan of comics, and I knew that they published stuff with monsters. So I thought, well, my best shot would be to go into drawing comics. Right now with Hellboy and, and that Hellboy world, I know 98% of it. But when I started, I just had a big collection of things that I thought were cool, and I sprinkled them far enough apart using this puzzle analogy. I had my handful of pieces. I separated them enough so there was room to add new pieces in between as I figured out what the puzzle looked like. It's a beautiful book. Yeah. What about you? For his recommendations? Yeah. Well, being at the information desk at our library, I do end up doing that mm -hmm. <laughs> instead of just for fun. And so I, I, it really depends on who's asking. I'm I've asking. Got, sure. <laughs> Well, no. well, if it's Steve, then, you know, I'd be like, hey, Steve, you should read Saga. Right. Hey, Steve, you should read Fun Home for sure. I've, I've even had people ask me, though, for specific things like queer graphic novels, real general question. And I'll yeah. be like, I'm, you're talking to the right person. And then I'll just go over and hand them a bunch of things. I, I would say that my favorite genre is realist type comics because I do like when things are pretty confusing um, and aren't making sense. Yeah. And then yeah. you have to try and make sense of it. Surrealism. Yeah. Doom Patrol is the same way. Um, they It's not always going to actually make sense. It's, it's, it's actually hoping to just really confuse you sometimes. And I, I love that. It, it reminds me sometimes uh, these things of, you know, f films. And so I'll think of things like Twin Peaks or stuff like that. Yeah. So I did recently read Unreal City by DJ Bryant because um, 
it's it's very pretty to look at. It's very polished, the artwork, and characters are often exaggerated in size, which again just speaks to what you can do when you've got like that big of a canvas. Yeah. It's made up of five vignettes and they revolve around relationships, often obsession in some way of the opposite sex. And what's really fun is that each story is like a circle and the end will feel like the beginning and you might ask yourself like, okay, I just, what just happened here? And you quickly, like myself, like go back and try and understand what just happened. Okay, so my favorite story is called Imordana or the inflection of nothing on the visual cortex. (laughs) It's a long title. Yeah. It does remind me of the recent installment of Twin Peaks because it begins with dialogue that is seemingly gibberish. So the characters actually, where the character is, is very unclear and it's a dark space. So in this case, it's because the character's eyes are closed and once they open, Bryant writes, everything seemed to be moving backward, back where it began with Andrea. And there's a huge picture of an eyeball that seems electric, and below that is a record player, and it's saying, Andrea, um, Andrea, um, and a song that's like looping, and it leads our character to a curtain in which they open it and walk onto a stage, and it's very existential. I like the out-of-control feeling. I like the oh my gosh, how do I make sense of this feeling? Yeah. I like, like really, di- just like with people, I like to dissect <laughs> and and work hard to like understand what's really happening and going on, which is probably why I was a literature English major. Just really analyzing things. And it's even more fun when there's art on the page. Yeah. Um, just trying to put, put the pieces together. And I, uh, that too, for me, then makes it linger. I end up sitting with it a lot longer. A good story is good, and then it's over. And it's true that you can go back, but I don't know. It's a different vibe, different tone. Mm. I do every every at the end of every year, and we're at we're at that point right now. Uh, I look at all the like best of lists. I love looking at the lists. I do too. And there's always something weird in there that I have not heard of that yes. is all of a sudden, you know, oh, this publication thinks that this was one of the best graphic novels of the year and I've never heard of it. Yep. I got to go find that. Me too. And of course, inevitably, no libraries have it. I work really <laughs> hard to get those obscure things. I try really hard, though. Yeah. No, you, you do a great job of Thanks. picking out great things. We have like all the classics. I mean, you mentioned Mouse. Yeah. Which is the only comic or the only graphic novel to have won the Pulitzer Prize. Mm. And then they made it so that uh, for, for literature, then they, then they made, they re redefined the category to say no comics. Right. Now they exclude them because they don't want that to ever happen again. Oh my gosh. It's really weird, but I mean, it's a, and it's a good book. It's really great. Um, I don't want to read it again though. No, I think most, I mean, it's, yeah. I I tried to make our adult graphic novels adult. Yeah. <laughs> and that and I find that to be really fun. <laughs> Pushing boundaries. Yeah. Or not. I mean there's you get the same content in in a book, but it's just words. Yeah. I mean these are it's pictures. Right. It is pictures. Which can freak people out, I guess. Yeah. 
but you don't have to be freaked out, people. No, it's have okay. fun. Like, have fun. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> I don't know what we're advocating. We're advocating that people read things. Yeah. That will chal- challenge them and bring them joy. Yeah, and open up some parts of your brain that might not uh, be open? Be- being used. <laughs> don't know where it's going to go with that. When I was little, I played a certain staring game that seemed to have invented itself. I would hold myself as still as I could and make my eyes like a toy's eyes that don't move, and I would wait. I would wait for the other things in the room to forget about me and begin to move, and my mood seemed to have a lot to do with it, and I'd have to make myself very calm and very friendly the way I would when I wanted a shy animal to come to me. And I knew I had to be patient and willing to wait for a very long time. We lived in a trailer then, and any pictures we had were up were taped to the walls, and sometimes they fell, but this is not what I mean when I say they could move. I believed there was another world that would show itself to me in the smallest ways. The gray kitten in the picture by my bed would accidentally blink his eyes. The girl in the picture would breathe, and I believed there was another world, but I only noticed it when it became harder to get to. There had been a time when a toy elephant was as alive as a real rabbit in the grass, and I didn't know there were different kinds of aliveness in the two worlds contained by each other. Something can only become an illusion after disillusionment. Before that, it's something real. What caused the disillusionment? No one told me the print on the wall was just ink and paper and had no life of its own. At some point, the cat stopped blinking and I stopped thinking it could. But my memory of the blinking cat is still vivid nearly 50 years later. Why? Why would an image of something which never happened travel with me for all these years? 